to get back. We're celebrating. If, if it was your child that was being baptized or, or your parent, you would say, I want to be there. Well, you see, it's our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our spiritual family that's being baptized. And we need to be here. And I appreciate you celebrating in this. This is an exciting time. This is a time of obedience. This is a time of following Jesus. And, and that's just a great testimony. And these people are going to be baptized today. They're just giving that testimony. Matter of fact, most of us, when we get baptized, we don't even realize all the implications that a baptism has. And there's not time for me to explain it all. Uh, in my sermon, I'm going to talk about the first sermons ever preached because it talks about baptism. First sermon ever preached after Jesus went back to heaven deals with baptism. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And I'm going to give an invitation to you. I'm going to give an invitation to you. If, if, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you say Jesus Christ is Lord, if you say I'm saved, however you put that, and you've never been baptized, I'm going to give an invitation for you to be baptized today. And if you're here and you're not a child of God, you're not. Somebody says, I thought everybody was a child of God. Jesus spoke to religious people. And they said, we are children of God. He says, listen, well, you're children of God? I could make these stones children of God. You're not children of God because you will not do what my Father in heaven says you ought to do. And there's a lot of people who say, I'm going to die and go to heaven. And they don't listen to God one bit. When it comes to, to, to playing and running around and, and working and pleasure, they know they don't listen to God because God's always second or third priority. And that individual knows that. And so you may be here today and Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life and that's evident by your lack of obedience. And so I'm going to invite you today to receive Christ as Lord. And I appreciate you being here and I hope you can feel the celebration. And after we're over, you're going to be invited to stay. We're going to have food. People have brought food. If you didn't bring any food, that's okay. You're our guest today. And you just stay with us and eat if you want to. And we'll fill up those tables back there. And if we run out of room, we'll come and sit up here, out here. And if we have to come here, we'll come in here. Just bring your plate in here. See, this building is not sacred. This building is not God's temple. This building is not God's house. You show me anywhere in this New Testament teaches that. This is God's temple. This is God's house. This is for the Holy Spirit. This is to be sacred. And so we use this building as God's family. To Bible study, to worship, to play, to eat, to enjoy popcorn. See? And we're glad you're here for this time today. What is being done today through these waters is the right thing to be done. You see, Jesus did it. I often talk about that when baptism takes place. Jesus was baptized. Stop and think. The Bible teaches John who was called the baptizer, not John the Baptist. John who was called the baptizer was baptizing the Jordan River, calling Jews to get prepared for the Messiah, to get baptized to show they're willing to repent of their sins. And John's baptizing people and he looks up. Here comes Jesus of Nazareth. There were a lot of people named Jesus back then. That's why many times he's identified in the New Testament. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus from Galilee. And here comes Jesus from Nazareth. And John looks at him. And John says, the Messiah, behold, there's the Lamb of God. And Jesus comes down into the water and John says, wait a minute. Knowing who Jesus is, He says, you ought to baptize Me. Jesus says, no. Let's do what the Father wants us to do. And you see, Jesus set the example. This is the right thing to do because Jesus did it. And then, He taught His followers. And before He went back to be with God, He told His followers, I want you to Teach people to follow Me. I want you then to baptize them. Now sometimes I meet people and they say, were you baptized this way? Were you baptized in the name of Jesus? Now I grant you, in the New Testament, book of Acts, sometimes Paul says, have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? But let's look at what the Lord said. The Lord said, I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And So we baptize people. 
See, Jesus said it's the right thing to do. And if you're here today, I want to help you that you would do the right thing. Not my right thing. Not Connections Church right thing. God's right thing. Jesus, who if you call Him Lord, His right thing. What we're doing today is the right thing. And so, I want us to see that because I want us to look at the first sermon preached before Jesus or after Jesus went back to be with the Father. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open the book of Acts. And for you who took that two-year journey with me in Luke, as we studied Luke for two years, Luke wrote the book of Acts. It's his second writing. We're not going to spend two years in this sermon this morning, okay? We're going to just spend a few minutes because we're going to get to our baptism and then we want to start eating about 11.15, 11.20. Okay? That way we can get you out. And if you didn't get your thirds, you can go to McDonald's or... or Arby's, and you can go order something, okay? But look there in Acts, the second chapter. Now, before we look on the screen, I'll put the words on the screen. Before we do, let me tell you the context. And it's very important to understand that. Sometimes we read the Bible, and and we sort of get lost. The words aren't as meaningful to us because we don't understand the context in which they're being spoke. Okay? Peter is the preacher. He's the one sharing the message. Okay? Just 50 days before Peter preaches this message, Peter and the other followers are in a house with the doors locked so nobody can get in. If he was with us in Luke, Jesus came into that house, found those followers behind locked doors. See, just 50 days before Peter preaches a sermon, now stop and think. 50 days before Peter preaches his sermon, He and the followers have seen Jesus Christ brutally beaten, hung on a cross, die, be buried in the grave. And so they're hiding in this locked house because they're afraid. Just 50 days before this sermon, Peter and the other followers are afraid that the Jewish authorities are going to come and do the same thing to them that was done to Jesus. And they're scared. They're scared to death. But, and I often say this, but, it's a big but. This is a big but. But, they saw Jesus risen from the dead. He walked with them 40 days. Now look, you can't go back. You can't go back to Jerusalem 2,000 years. You can't walk with Jesus. You can't talk with Jesus. These people walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, saw His end, terrible end. They saw Him buried dead, but they saw Him alive. They saw Him alive. And for 40 days, Jesus taught them about what God was doing and how God was working through Him. And what happens is, it so transforms them that they unlock that door and they come out amongst the Jewish people who hated Jesus. And the religious leaders who would kill anybody who called Jesus Lord. Because that's blasphemy in the Jewish faith. And they come out. Fifty days later, on what is called the day of Pentecost. See, you're saying, how do you know all these like the days... Because Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. And remember, they took Jesus off the cross because they were going to celebrate Passover. So this is 50 days later. And what do we have? We have Peter and the other followers boldly speaking about Jesus Christ. Catch this. Where? Where? In Jerusalem, Jesus was crucified. In Jerusalem, where the religious leader's home base was. In Jerusalem. Peter preaches his first sermon with the other followers around him. There where if Peter is telling a lie. This is, this is, look, look, most of us don't study writings of antiquity. People who study writings of antiquity, they read this and they say, Look, it gives too many details that are checked out by the people who lived at that time and people who talked to those people. And there must be some truth to this. It's the only way we can study human history. 
And there they are. They're in Jerusalem. And Peter's going to preach this sermon that we're going to look at quickly. I hope quickly. And Peter's going to do it with people who hate Jesus. With people who murdered Jesus. And he's going to do it with people who can say, wait a minute, I'm going to tell you something. He's not alive. We can go to the tomb of Jesus and we can see His body. They could disprove it all. He didn't do these things you're talking about. They could disprove it all. And you're going to see the result. Did they disprove it? So now, let's look at what Peter said. So there in the second chapter of Acts, start the 17th verse. And I'm going to cover some verses. I'm going to pass some verses and just explain. But Peter stands up and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out My Spirit upon all people. Okay? Now you see, Peter's saying we're in the last days. You and I are living in the last days. The last days are the days between Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago when He was born in Bethlehem to when Jesus will come again. That could be today, tomorrow, thousand years from now. I don't know. And you get anybody who's trying to predict that, I wouldn't even hang out with them. See? Because Jesus Himself says, even I don't know the time. That's in the Father's hand. But we're in the last days. And, 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 and Peter is trying to emphasize to the people he's talking to, it's important you make a decision now. And I'm saying to you, it's important that you make a decision. It's one thing to say, I believe. Listen, actions demonstrate what we believe. I love my wife. Watch the actions. Sometimes I get mad at her. She was telling my oldest daughter yesterday because they came and tried to help with some house projects because I, I just... If I bend down and get up and bend down, I, I just get pain. And she, Lord tried to explain, well, he's more irritable since he has this pain that's constant. But he makes amends. Thank God for CR. He makes amends. He says he's sorry. You see, it's one thing to say I love someone. Actions prove it. I was talking to a father or a husband who had his new bride of a few months. This week caught that great flu bug. And he talked about how he's cleaning up. And how he's helping to even minister to family members. I can just pat him on the back. I'm so proud of you. You see, it's one thing to say, I believe, or to say, I love. Actions demonstrate it. And we're in the last days. And Peter's going to ask these people to take an action. He goes on. He says, God says, I will pour out My Spirit upon all people. Verse 17, and it goes on. He explains who those people are. And you know what's amazing? He says some of them are non-Jews. Some of them are old men. Old men have had their days. Some are young men. Old men don't think young men know much. You're just a young man. You don't know much. I hope it connects and you old men don't think that about our young men. Because I'm going to tell you, we've got a lot of young men who serve God here. No old men ought to be saying anything bad about a young man. Old women. Old women, they're used up. Young women. Listen, we got a lot of women who God uses here connection. Old women shouldn't say anything about young women. Young women shouldn't say anything about old women except maybe praise the Lord. You see, what, what Peter's trying to say is what we're used to in the Jewish faith is God works through the head of the household. Man, we don't respect our dads anymore. We should respect our dads. But God's going to start working through all, all people, even non-Jews. What Peter is saying is getting the Jews' attention here, that first sermon, because it's revolutionary. It's what they'd never heard before. I hope. I know I'm not saying things that other people probably haven't said before, but I hope through my creativity, my personality, I say it in a way that I get your attention. Get your attention. That's what Peter did. He caught their attention. Revolutionary. I met a person from the last church I went to this morning because I get a chocolate milkshake before I come. Because I, I get up at 6 o'clock and eat breakfast. Then I go back to bed about 7 to, to quarter to 8. And then I get up and get my shower. And I'll get a chocolate milkshake so i got some strength. I go in to where I get that chocolate milkshake and I meet a couple from that other church. And they said, we drove by your church out there. We thought you'd be out there. I said, I'm going. One down, one up. Yeah. See? I hope I say something that can be revolutionary. That's what Peter's doing here. He's getting their attention. Look at verse 21. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That word saved in the Greek is sozo. It means to deliver. It means to protect. Peter is saying this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be safe. That's what he's saying. And you know what? They wanted to be safe. They lived in a country by Roman occupation. They were mistreated. They were prisoners in their own country, Israel. And they were having trouble making a living. I've said this before. Then it was like 22% unemployment. People would work one day to get enough money to buy food for the next day. It was so difficult to live. All they wanted to do is be safe. And Peter is saying, I tell you what, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they know who that's going to be. You're going to hear that Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be safe. And you'll be safe. They're going to do a biopsy on my pancreas, pancreas tomorrow when they do another procedure. Because i got a mass. I'm safe. I'm safe. Ask me about that. How Laura and I view when they say you're going to do a biopsy. See, that's what Peter is saying to them. You're safe. If you're with the Lord, your future, my future, tied with Him is safe. Your marriage future is safe. Your family future is safe. If your marriage and your family is tied to the Lord, your financial future is safe. If your financial future is tied to the Lord. And the Lord teaches we are to be like the ants. You go out and you work and you take some and you eat it for that day. And you take others and you put away for a day when you can't work. See, Peter's got their attention. They want to know how to be safe in this, this terrible environment they're living in. 22. People of Israel, listen. Peter says, I'm talking to you Jews. Peter's a Jew. I'm a Jew, he says. I'm talking to my family here. People of Israel. Listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs throughout Him as you well know. That's an important statement. We would read that and we say, I know that about Jesus. But for them... If it's not true, this is what you got to understand. Written document. If it's not true, somebody can shout and say, that's a lie! Jesus didn't do any miracles! There was no signs! There was no wonders! See, Peter is saying, you know what I'm saying is true because you are there! And we got to hear that, see? Some of you believe George Washington exists. How do you know? Who here talked to George Washington? Who here talked to somebody who talked to George Washington? How do you know he existed? Your teacher told you. You believe anything anybody tells you except the preacher, right? How does your teacher know? Did he or she talk to him? Well, he or she was old enough. No. Did they talk to somebody? Talk? No. How do they know? They read it. I tell you what I give. I ask, I ask junior, senior high school this question all the time because they don't want to believe in Jesus. They're told he's a lie. I said, how did your teacher know? And you know what they say? She or he read it in a book. Wow. That's how we learn about ancient history. And we try to trust who wrote it. Is there, is there information that can coincide? And you see, Peter's saying, Jesus did some miraculous things. And nobody's saying, you're a liar, it didn't happen. They were there when it happened. Look, 23, but God knew what would happen. Now what he's trying to say is, Folks, people think Jesus lost control. And see, Peter understands this because he and the followers who followed Jesus for three years got behind locked doors. They thought things were out of control. God didn't have things in control. And he's trying to say, but God knew, knew what would happen. And His prearranged plan, God's prearranged plan was that His Son was going to come. The Bible says, before the creation, God had made this plan. You know why? Because God knew you were going to sin and I was going to sin. And He still created us. That's how much He loves us. And His prearranged plan was Jesus was going to come. See, God has been in control all along. Peter's telling these Jews that. It says His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus baptized, was betrayed, I'm sorry, with the help of the lawless Jews. That's the Romans. You nailed Him to a cross and killed Him. Now listen, I've, told, I've said many times here, Muslims don't believe Jesus really died. They're wrong. All religions teach the same things. No, they don't. Muslims don't believe Jesus of Nazareth, the one who's called to Christ, really died on that cross. Peter is saying, I want you to understand, God was in control. This was His plan. You guys nailed Him to the cross, but God's plan was He was to die. If Jesus didn't die, if Jesus didn't exist, and some young people are told today He didn't exist, but you don't hear that. I heard that a lot when I was in university when I was 20, 21, 18. Today, they don't say it because you see, the evidence is He did exist. Unbiblical evidence says He existed. 
Peter's saying, you guys know what I'm saying is true. You nailed Him to the cross. You weren't there. If it didn't happen, somebody could holler, you liar, get off the platform. Peter's trying to tell him, you know what I'm saying is, is true. 24, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grips. Now Peter's saying, we know something. We know Jesus rose from the dead. And the evidence of that is in the actions of our faith. We've stepped out from behind that locked door and we've stepped out amongst you who we feared at one time and we're telling you truth. Now please understand, Somebody says, yeah, so they can get their money and get them in their churches. They don't have churches. They meet in homes. And they don't have any treasure and collection. Not at this time. There's no plan to build an organized experience. All Peter is doing is telling what he says. Now, you know what you know. Let me tell you what I know. And folks, that's how many of us became believers. Somebody told us what they knew about Jesus and we placed our faith in Jesus. And that's what Peter's going to do. Peter's going to tell them about Jesus and we're going to see what they do. And then in verse 25-31, through 31, no one take time, I just want to say this. Peter gives a character reference for Jesus to the Jews. And the person he uses is the, the man of history that all Jews honored and hoped that Messiah would be like. And that's King David. And he uses King David as a character reference for Jesus. And he said, King David talked about the Messiah. He said, David said that the Messiah would come from his descendants. So they could, those people could find out, where was Jesus born? See, they could check out these things. I mean, from whom? What lineage? And he said that the Messiah would be resurrected. That's what King David said. In those verses I'm not reading, that's everything he said. In other words, Peter gives a character reference from the most important man in the Jewish experience in their time in the sense because they were hoping to have another kingdom like King David's. Moses was important Abraham, but King David was the character reference. Now go to verse 32. God raised, he says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Here he goes again. He's saying, let me tell you something we know. And I'm going to tell you, I know God can change your finances. I wish I had time to tell you about Laura's and mine. I know God can change your marriage. I wish I had time to tell you about Laura's and mine. I do throw it in every so often. God can change your family. I wish I had time to talk about mine. God can change your anger. God can change your worry. I wish I had time to tell you. You see, what Peter is saying, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are witnesses of this. In other words, we know what we're talking about is true in our lives. And He's going to invite them to make it true in their lives. You see, some of you men, some of you women, your mate's so hungry for you to get closer to Jesus and you stay skeptical. And you probably stay skeptical because you've seen that false Christian. Or you've seen that immature Christian. And you say, it's just hard for me to believe because I know this one and that one. Peter's not a perfect man. But Peter and the followers are saying, we want you to look at us We've left the locked doors. We've stepped out in boldness because we have saw Him alive. We've witnessed that God rose Him from the dead. Look at verse 36. So, now that's a big soul there. And was based on everything He said in the first part of the sermon, now He's going to move toward where He wants to get. Everything I have said, He says, so, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Messiah. If you've got your message map, I want you to look at it. I passed up the first blank. Just write the word obedience in there. That is to be baptized. Don't put that on the screen. To be baptized is to be obedient to what Jesus Christ the Lord wants. That's the first blank. Look at the second blank. Peter gives his conclusion to what they should believe. It is what you should believe. Jesus is God's Lord and Messiah. That's where Peter moves. After talking about this experience from their perspective and his and the followers' perspective, he says, I want you to know Jesus is to be both Lord and Messiah. Messiah is deliverer. Lord is the boss. And I'm going to tell you, heaven will never be the home of anyone whom Jesus is not Lord. He is Lord of all. 
in your life or He is not Lord at all. That doesn't mean you don't slip off, you don't fail, you don't relapse, but if He's Lord, you come to Him exactly like Scripture says, and you say, I'm sorry Jesus, I shouldn't have been that way. Please forgive me. And you get back to follow His Lordship. He says, listen, Jesus is both Lord, He is the One who is to be in charge, and He is the Messiah. He is the One who makes you safe. That's what He's telling them. Look at verse 37. Look what happens. The Holy Spirit is working. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. In other words, Peter's words began getting to their heart. Not this. I love you with all my heart. And so you cut your chest open and you give your loved one your heart, right? Heart in both Old Testament and New Testament is this. It's the decision-making process. It's your willpower. I love you with my decision-making process. I have shared with my children in my, their mother and my struggle that it's our commitment to Jesus Christ that we love each other with our decision-making process. No. Because my oldest son said, will you ever get a divorce? Because his best friend, his family, mom and dad got a divorce. Because Jesus is Lord, we'll never get a divorce. You see, we love Jesus with all our heart. All our decision-making process. So I'm committed to Laura, and she's committed to me. See, it's getting to them. It's pierced their hearts. They're beginning to think, wow, you know what he's saying about Jesus? We witnessed all that. And we've heard others say they've seen Him alive. And you know, we want to be safe. And we know, we know our teachings of the Old Testament teach us, though they didn't have an Old Testament, of the prophets. Even King David himself spoke that the Messiah was coming and we are to follow Him as Lord. And they're beginning to process it. And I hope right now, you're being pierced. You see, I hope right now the Spirit is trying to get through to you about Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah in your life. God's trying to soften your heart. And we need to do that because you see, life experience makes me get very contrary up here. Can't trust grandpa. Can't trust grandma. Can't trust mom or dad. Oh, I'll use mom and dad. I'll use grandpa and grandma. Can't trust my sister. Can't trust my brother. Oh, I'll take advantage of them. I'll make them feel guilty if they don't help me. But life's experience makes me become very stubborn right here. And very hard, you heard the term? Hard-hearted up here. And what's happening that day is the Spirit of God is softening. He's pierced their heart. And I want to believe He's doing that now with some of us. Verse 37, look what it says. And they said to Him, that's to Peter, these are the Jews, and to the other apostles, the other followers, brothers, what should we do? And that's where God always wants to lead us. He wants to lead us to the place that we say, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? This week a person called me, asked God to meet with him, and they wanted to know what God wanted them to do. And they asked Jesus Christ in their life. See, that's what they're saying to Peter. What does God want me to do? What should we do? And you know what? God gives the answer. In this first sermon, God gives them the answer of what they should do. And here's what everyone should do. And I'm going to go through the Scripture and I've written it on your worship handout so you can take it home and look at it if you can't make that decision today. But look at the Scripture. Verse 38. Peter replied, their question, what should we do? Each of you must repent of your sins. The first thing is to realize your sin is your problem. See, I thought it was Laura when we were first married and I'm 19 and 20. I thought it was my kids when they come along. I just didn't have perfect kids like most of you have. Whenever I'm 13 and 14 and 15, I thought it was my dad. I never realized until some men mentored me. My problem is the sin in my life. And how I responded to that. And that's what, that's what Peter is saying. Each of you must repent of your sins. You must realize your sins are your problem. They've separated from you from God. You need to be sorry. Repentance is turning from that attitude of letting sin be in charge and turning to God and say, I'm sorry, God. I've let my rationale, my reasoning, my thinking be in charge. And then he goes on and turn to God. That's the second thing. When you realize sin's your problem, you can't take care of your sin problem. 
See, you said, I'm going to quit getting mad. I'm going to quit using that language. I'm going to quit getting angry. I'm going to start handling my money right. I'm going to quit lusting. I'm going to quit looking at those things. See? I'm going to quit cutting myself. I'm going to quit overeating. You can't do it on your own. You've got to turn to God. You've got to turn to God. That's the second thing. Turn to the only one who can help you. Have faith in God. See, for years you've had faith in yourself. And you know what? You've not got better. All you do is escape. That's all you do. You've learned to escape. I've got to get away from Laura. I'd go play ball. I'd, get, I'd leave Laura. I'd go drive through Clarksville, Tennessee, and I'd find where there's either a basketball game, somebody out playing football, or somebody playing baseball somewhere. And I'd see if I could get out there and play. That's what I'd do. Sometimes I'd leave her and I'd go to McDonald's and I'd buy a newspaper. I'd just say, I'm leaving right now. See, I would escape. I used to go hunt squirrel. Man, I used to love that in Tennessee. I'd say, Laura, I'm sorry. I just, I just got to go hunting. See, that's my escape. Didn't turn to God. Didn't turn to God and place my faith in God. I escaped to myself. And I, my mentors, they taught me to understand that about what doesn't work in my life. doesn't do any good to turn to yourself. You've tried that for years and it just doesn't. While you escape, you just forget. But you come back. That's no different than somebody drinking alcohol or taking a drug. They escape for a little bit. But you've got to return to reality. Your own experience in life. Look, he goes on. The third thing, he says, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The third thing is that you understand God works through Jesus Christ. That's who He works through. You've got to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in yourself, you've got to put that down. You've got to believe in Christ. You believe in Christ, He'll tell you your worth. He'll build your esteem. When somebody else wants to tear you down, He'll tell you, no, I gave my life for you. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. And he goes on, why? To show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. In other words, the fourth thing is, he says, be baptized, say, to demonstrate that you have turned from your sins. See, baptism shows something. Every person who's been baptized has been asked, have you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord? Yes, but you all weren't there. So they're going to show, they're going to be baptized today and they're going to show that they have turned from their sins. Does that mean they never sin? No. Till we die, sin will impact our lives. But see, he's telling them, after you turn to Christ, you baptize in the name of Jesus who's Lord for the purpose of showing your repentance of your sin. Baptism isn't repentance of sin. Baptism is the action that demonstrates that you turn to Christ who has washed away your sin. And look, he goes on. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we want to get to. We want to get to the place where God empowers us. But you see, most people want to get to five. And most churches only talk about five. And you've got to realize five is after four, which is after three, which is after two, which is after one. And Peter shares that with them. And look at verse 39. This promises to you and to your children and, and even to the Gentiles. That's revolutionary. Non-Jews. That's revolutionary. He's talking basically probably to all Jewish people, but he's telling them God's plan is much greater than just what we've learned about in the temple. All, even the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord are God. In other words, Peter's saying, this word is to you from God today. Because you see, you can't come Jesus Christ is Lord unless you are willing to say, God's talking to me. You hear Him. You understand it's Him calling you. It's not you calling God. It's God calling you. All you do is respond. It's like, I'm the baby of four... Well, let me forget my... I'm baby of 14 children. Let me go this. First town we lived in Illinois, community of 500. Well, my kids, they could run all over that community. 1978. When it was time for them to be home, I'd step out on the porch. I won't do it very loud, but I'd go... <laughs> three times very loud. My kids would be home in 10 minutes calling them. And you see, that's what God's doing to us. He's just going, hey you, pay attention. Hey you, pay attention. Peter's got their attention. They want to be safe. You and I want to be safe. Peter's told them their problem is sin. Peter's told them you've got to turn to God. Peter's told them you've got to trust in the one God sent to deliver us, Jesus Christ. 
Peter said, and you give evidence of that. You show through your baptism that there's been a change, a forgiveness has taken place in you. And God's Spirit will begin working. Look at 40. Then Peter continued preaching for... Hey, I like that next word. Oh, I'm sorry. The word after A. Then Peter began preaching for a long time. Strongly! Urging all the listeners. Well, why does it take long sermons... And really strong preaching. Doesn't mean it's got to be to beat you in the head. I don't want to preach at you. I want to preach to you. Why does it take a lot of sermons and a lot of preaching? Because you see, up here, we get stubborn. You understand? You're not married to the person I'm married to. You don't have parents like I have. You don't have kids like I have. You're not facing life like I am. Your finances aren't like my finances. And it takes God using a lot of sermons and a lot of strong information. That's why Satan has told us, the Bible says, preaching is beautiful. But what do you do when your mom and dad gets on you? Don't preach at me. What do you do when you're at work and the other people start saying, don't preach at me? What do you do when your mate says, now you know what? Don't preach at me. We've made it ugly. And I could just pull verse out of the New Testament verse. talks about it's beautiful. And it's what builds us. Because Satan has us take the things of God and make them the wrong thing in our mind. And so it takes a lot of preaching, a lot of strong speaking to urge us. Look what he says. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. You know what he's telling them? If I had time to explain that in the Greek, he's saying this. This world is going the wrong way. That's back 2,000 years ago. This world is going the wrong way. Save yourself from going the wrong way. The crooked path. And you and I know we're living in a time where people are getting caught up in the crooked path. You can get somebody stand up and preach today, sing today, play an instrument today, help serve in a church, and then tomorrow or a month later, you can't find them in a church. They got crooked. They got crooked. Everything in this world leads us to make God a less priority. And he's saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. Find the straight path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 talks about that. God will show you which path to take. It'll be the straight path for you. Hard part is, you've got to make the Lord the priority. And that's what Peter's telling them. God wants a straight path in your life. He wants you to be safe. That doesn't mean you may not get sick and die. That doesn't mean somebody may not create conflict in you. That may not mean your health may not fail. That may not mean that somebody you've loved is disloyal and leave you. But you can find the straight path. Not live on the crooked path. And 41, look what happened. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. 3,000 people that first sermon. You know, I, I, I talked to God. And I said, can you imagine God? 3,000 people today, May 4th? Well, I don't have five or 10,000. He was probably speaking to five or 10,000 because everybody doesn't believe. But could I imagine some out of this crowd responding? 3,000 people in hearing Him in the context of where Jesus died, where He rose from the dead, in the context... Place their faith in Jesus Christ. And 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves. Now you got these 3,000 plus, well, I don't know, 100, 200 followers the New Testament seems to identify. So maybe you got about 3,200 believers. And all the believers devoted themselves to go to church every Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night. They didn't have a church like that. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the writings that Peter... And Matthew and Mark and them wrote. And we have some of those preserved. And we don't have them just preserved once. We've got them preserved in more copies than any other written document of human history. The closest document in human history. Listen, there's over 25,000 manuscripts for the New Testament. The closest document in human history of antiquity, there's only 650. Wow, blow me away. See, he's telling them, 
about Jesus. And they get so caught up that they start studying these things. Because they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have a Bible. So they study what Peter wrote, what Mark wrote, what Matthew wrote. And to the fellowship. And to the sharing in meals. That's what we're going to do. Including the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. Let me just say this. The end result, the end result of turning from sin, turning to God, following Jesus Christ as Lord, showing it through baptism, having the Holy Spirit work in your life, is that you become part of a community of believers. You just don't come and sit in a church. You become part of a community of believers. That's what we learn in this first sermon and the prayer. You see, the New Testament teaches no lone ranger Christians. I don't need that stuff. I don't need those people. No, the New Testament teaches that's what you do. You become community oriented with other believers. And they became involved in the body of Christ, which later in the New Testament we understand is called the church. This is not the church. This is not the church I belong to. This is the church. This is the church I belong to. That's what it is. And so right now, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to turn from your sins and turn to God by faith in the person Jesus Christ as Lord. Right now, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm going to ask in just a little bit that we all bow our heads. Don't do it yet. And I'm going to lead in a prayer that I call a prayer of faith. It's a prayer similar to a prayer I prayed in my teen years. It's similar to a prayer that many have prayed. And if you have not turned to Christ as Lord, right now, I invite you to just pray this prayer. You see, I'm going to say the words and you just repeat the words if you mean them. And if you mean them, the God of all creation is looking down and He sees your heart and He knows if you mean them or if you're just playing a game. And if you mean you want to turn to Jesus, Right now, I invite you to do so. Would everyone just bow your heads? I don't care if you close your eyes. Just don't bother anybody. And if you want to receive Christ as Lord, I invite you right now to say these words. Dear God in heaven, I know I am a sinner and I am sorry for my sins. And I believe Jesus Christ is your Son I believe He died on the cross for my sins. And I ask You to forgive me my sins and Jesus to be my Lord. For I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I want to live for Him. Thank You for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, listen, I invite you to be baptized. If you are already a Christian and you haven't followed your belief in Jesus by baptism, then I invite you to be baptized. Here's what I ask. I ask that whenever they begin singing, you go through this door and you go out to the lobby and Brent, he'll find you if you come through the doors. You just look and you tell Brent Wentenbrink, I want to be baptized because Jesus is my Lord. Today is the day. And I invite you to do that. But you are the one who has to decide right here in the decision-making process to choose to do what God had told these people to do in their first sermon. Today I invite you to go through those doors. Talk to Brent. we got clothes. we got everything. Towels. we got everything out there. And Brent will tell you what to do. You come. People are going to be baptized. We need to go to this room right now.